0: never happens when you when you 're moved uh, as you reflect upon god 's love for you, my question is how can you not be moved right that God would send his only son to come and dwell in our messiness and get to know us like we 've never been known before as awkward and as hard as that is to accept he loves us and uh, we get to talk about that today. How's that sound? That's awesome. I love it. Galatians 5. Turn there in your Bibles, if you would. No, no, no. Let's change it. Let's go to Matthew 6. Go to Matthew 6. And uh, in case you guys didn't know, uh, the war on Christmas has already begun. Do you guys know this? That there's a war on Christmas? And, and here's really what the war is about. Is it too soon to start playing Christmas music? I mean, let's, let's divide the room and let's have a battle with each other, shall we? I mean, talk about the peace of Christmas being shattered by something so trivial as to talk about Christmas music. Like, you know, I don't care where you, you fall on this, right? Like, let's just be honest. Probably one of the worst Christmas songs. Speaking of Christmas music, is is Mariah Carey's "All I Want for Christmas Is You"? Can I get an amen on that? So I'm going to preach on this for one hour. How that is the worst. No, I'm not. I'm not going to. Some of you, your peace is already disrupted because you're like, oh, I just love Mariah Carey. Like, whatever. You know, we'll pray. God allows Mariah Carey lovers in his church, so that's the good news. But there's a bar in Dallas, Texas, that it is officially put on notice that you are not allowed to play that song on their jukebox until December 1st, right? So I kind of like, I want to like support this bar. So um, you shall not play Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You until December 1st. And with that, come December 1st, you can only play it one time during the day, can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. Yeah, that's, that's a good rule. Matter of fact, I would just say, let's just not play it all together, right? But uh, the war on Christmas has officially begun, and Mariah carries the target. So I feel for her. But talk about trivial things. Don't you think that's, like, pretty trivial in the, in the big scheme of things? How we allow trivial things like Christmas music, too soon? Not soon enough. Christmas music, Mariah Carey, worst song in history? I don't know. We allow trivial things to interrupt peace in our lives. How many of you allowed trivial things to interrupt peace in your hearts? Has God ever convicted you of that and you've been forced to reflect like, why am I getting so bothered by this? Why am I allowing uh, worry or anxiety or stress to impact? Some? I mean, we are, we're 48 days from Christmas. Mark that down. Some of you are like, oh, crap. Yep, exactly. It's coming. 48 days till Christmas. And... Um, Boy, I pray that we would really, beyond Christmas, understand the peace that is afforded to us from God. My, my prayer today is that somehow through the message, God would ground our hearts and our minds in a peace that is truly lasting, a peace that is truly impenetrable, a, le- a, a, a peace that can be experienced, not based upon our circumstances or what's going on in our lives, but a peace that's truly rooted in Christ, so turn to Matthew chapter six if you would. And uh, we live in a world that's constantly talking about peace. I mean, you talk about the peace treaties, the peace summits, the peace accords. I mean, the climate uh, conference that just took place. You know, we're trying to find peace. And and I don't know where you stand on these things, but I tell you what: we hold peace summits and rallies. We establish these accords and these treaties. We hand out peace prizes. Do you know there's been a hundred and eighteen plus recipients? Theodore Roosevelt, Albert Schweitzer, the Red Cross, Desmond Tutu, Mother Teresa, Barack Obama, to name a few. Yet for all the stuff that our our world clamors about and talks about when it comes to peace, there's still a lack of peace. There's still this sense that we are at unrest, we are anxious, we are worried, we are stressed, perhaps more than ever. And this is something that technology can't, you would think as advanced as we are, when it comes to the things that we have created and invented, you would think we would become a more peaceful people. But the problem goes way deeper than that. Wars and rumors of wars continue to our day. And this is because there is no peace as long as sin remains. Matter of fact, write down that three-letter word, sin. Jesus says, I've come not to give peace like the world gives peace through summits and through treaties and through conferences, and and there's nothing inherently wrong or evil about those kind of things, but there's a peace that only God can give, but he's got to break through the wall of sin in each of our hearts first. Peace is mentioned 43 times in the writings of the Apostle Paul. So last week, I kind of, you know, went for like Paul, the apostle of joy. Well, he writes about peace more than he writes about joy. John is second with, or actually Luke is second writing about peace 13 times. Paul writes about it. It appears in every book of the New Testament except for the book of 1 John. Now, 1 John's about love. So if you want to read about love, you read 1 John. But peace is found in every other book of the New Testament. This is an important topic. To the heart of God. As a matter of fact, we look at Galatians 5 in the past, and that's kind of the the jumping off point for our series, Planted. What does the Holy Spirit want to produce in the hearts of God's people? He wants to produce fruit. And the fruit does not come as a result of you striving. Actually, fruit comes at the point of your surrender. matter of fact, write that down. So I had a moment on the phone with a friend this week. And I mentioned this and I said, that's the, that's the platform I'm going to use for my, my message today. God does his best work, not when you strive, but when you surrender. And surrendering is what you have to do for the fruit of the spirit to be born in your life. You can't strive for fruit. You don't you go to an apple tree and listen closely and hear the apple going, yeah, gotta grow, gotta grow, gotta grow. Right, I've never heard any fruit on a tree striving, yearning, growing. It merely grows and matures as a result of abiding in the tree. See, ladies and gentlemen, what God wants to do in us has less to do about our striving, our doing, and more about our surrendering and our yielding. This is how the fruit of the Spirit is born. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now, there's a certain order I want to just point out here. We've already talked about love. We've talked about joy. Now we're talking about peace. Write down this mathematical equation in your notes. And again, I hate math, but I'm going to give you this one for free today, and I'm going to struggle through it, all right? Agape love, which we talked about. Agape love, unconditional love, accepting love, plus assured love. Joy, the assurance. This is where joy comes from. The the assurance that you're loved like none other. Agape love plus assured joy equals amazing peace. Until you come to understand God's accepting unconditional love for you, and that somehow erupts into this well of joy... Because nothing can alter your relationship with him. You're his forever. And that should amount amount into incredible excitement. Just this this perspective of life that just says, I'm loved. And there's nothing I can do but smile about that. Yeah, my world might be falling apart, but doggone it, God's got me. There's an amazing peace that comes from that kind of love and that kind of joy. So that love plus joy equals peace. If there is a lack of peace in your life, Go back because either the love is wrong or the joy is wrong. I want you to have peace. I want to have peace. God wants you to have peace. And because this is so important, we get to look at this scripture today. The more that love grows and we come to know this God who loves us, the more the joy we experience that we're loved by such an amazing creator and sovereign God The more the tension and the conflict leaves our lives, it leaves our lives. The more you focus on what you need, how many of us just have our focus in the wrong place? Right? Here's the problem point number one it's this it's the fact that we forfeit peace because why? We surrender to our worry, we give in to the things that feed our anxieties. And there's a couple examples I want you to write down, Luke 10 and and Matthew 6. Luke 10 I'll just refer to. We know it as the Mary-Martha scene. You guys know about Mary and Martha? Two great sisters who just approach life differently, right? Mary was the one that chose the position to be at the feet of Jesus. And Martha was the one that was feverishly at work in the kitchen, banging as many pots and pans as she could to make sure everyone knew she was busy for Jesus. Right, and Jesus is like, why are you being distracted by so many things, Martha? Those were his words exactly. Why are you worried? Why are you anxious? Your sister has chosen the better portion today. And that's, that's, that's to be at my feet. See, Martha was the type of person who lives life with no punctuation. Does anyone live a life like this? There are, there's no commas, there's no periods, there's no. You're kind of like this. Got to take my kids to the football game today, and then I'm gonna go home and I gotta catch the sports game out, and then I gotta go you know, check my bank account, and then I gotta get ready for church, and I gotta go, you know buy some women's. Ministry. You live life like this. You live life with no punctuations, and I'm gonna tell you right now. God says, put a period in there somewhere. Okay. Go ahead, put a period. Put it. Put an exclamation part. Mark. Put a put a question mark, what a comma. Slow down. See, Martha, and, and then let me just say how much expectations play into this. Martha expected Jesus to be hungry, so therefore, she's gonna be busy for Jesus to make sure he is satisfied with, with physical food. Mary knew Jesus was satisfied on something more deeper, and that was relationship. So Martha says I could be busy for Jesus but I'm going to choose to be quiet with him. God does not want your busyness. He doesn't need it but he wants something better for you. He wants you to take the place of Mary to just be at his feet and be. Because when you surrender to your worry, it has this amazing way to erase relationship. Not just with God, but with others. Matthew 6. Don't be anxious. Right? Don't be anxious. Anxiety literally means strangulation. Anxious literally means to be st- to be sh- choked out. It's this idea of a boa constrictor wrapping itself around you. I was one of those kids in elementary school when the, the, school, the, the zoo came to your school and they bring the snakes. Like I was the kid like, I'll hold a snake. And then when that snake just started curling up around me, I'm like, I'm gonna die, right? Like I was thinking, I'm gonna become a statistic today. <laughs> but when you feel that, that sense of choking that you can't control, this is what anxiety and, and worry does in our lives. Matthew 6, if you're there, turn there. Look at, look at verse 25 to 34. Very familiar passage. We're just going to look at this very, very quickly. Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, verse 25, don't be anxious for your, as for your life as to what you're going to eat or drink. Right, The trivial things, which is what we tend to worry about. Jesus says, is not your life more important than these things? How we get consumed by the clothes we wear and the cars we drive and the, what our houses look like and got to remodel this. The, the number one enemy in our house, and this is one of the reasons we don't have cable, is uh, HGTV. We go on vacation. A highlight of our trip is cable TV. Like, does the hotel have cable? Great, we're excited, right? It could be in the dump. But as long as we have cable... But the moment we start to turn on HGTV is the moment my wife's like, yeah, we need a new kitchen. I'm like, Satan. <laughs> how the devil works through cabinetry and, and home remodels and stuff like that, right? It's, but we become unsettled, right? Because it's like, oh, that looks so beautiful. My house is garbage and we need to... This is how the enemy comes in. Mm-hmm. You start looking from your vantage point, your perspective at what everybody else is doing, what everybody else has got. You then go, well, my life's crap. I need this, I need that in order to feel important, in order to feel accepted. And Jesus is saying here, worry keeps you from enjoying what you have. Stop and be thankful for what you have. Because if you don't do this, contentment will never happen. Find a place in your heart. And deep down inside, contentment is what we're all fighting for. Be still and know that he is God. It doesn't matter what you wear, it doesn't matter the car you drive, it doesn't matter what your house looks like. I mean, we got a bunch of people coming to our house soon. And my wife's like, eh, it doesn't I'm like, it's lived in. We've got three kids and a dog. Amen? He says, look at the birds of the air. I have never seen a bird singing its song to its creator and then all of a sudden drop from cardiac arrest. It's never happened. Look at the birds of the air. Are they worried? Are you not worth more than them? So Jesus says something else. Worry makes you forget your worth. Psalm 8, you are the apex of God's creation. You are his masterpiece. Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, verse 2, verse 10. For you are his workmanship. You are his poem. That's literally the word. You're his poem. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Worry makes you forget about your worth, you're better. You're better than you think you are. And you just need to hear that from your Father. Look at the birds of the sky. Are you not worth more than them? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to your lifespan? Worry is useless. This is what Jesus says. He says, you know what? How many of you, by stressing out over this thing, is going to add another second to your existence? And why are you anxious about clothing, verse 28? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, they don't spin, right? And I say to you, yet Solomon, even in all his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. The wealthiest, wisest man in human history couldn't dress himself and make himself look better than the flowers. Look at verse 30. But if God so raised the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is burned, will he not do, or will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then. What are we gonna eat? What are we gonna drink? With what we're gonna clothe ourselves with, worry erases the promises of God from your mind. You're consumed about all these things and you forget about God's promises. We're gonna talk about this. And then the last thing he says is that verse 32 this is the way unbelievers act. You and I as set apart ones loved by God in Christ ought to be different. But if you carry carry on the way unbelievers do what what makes what's, what's the difference? Jesus says, you are different. And I can't help but think what Jesus says, and I think it's in Luke, and I can't can't identify it right now. He says, why are you worried, little flock? Don't you know that your father promises you to give you the kingdom? You guys know what's coming? The kingdom. You're clamoring about with these little trivial things that break, and God's saying, what are you worried about? I'm giving you something of infinite more value that is indestructible. That's why Jesus says, go to the very end, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Here's what you need to know is that this is about his kingdom and this is about his righteousness and what you need to be concerned about. And this is the big The big point today, you are given everything needed to do the will of God because nothing else matters. Cue Metallica. No, don't do it right now. Nothing else matters, right? I know. This is the way my mind works. Sorry. Dogs with fluffy tails. Squirrel. Squirrel. Cats, ooh, I hate them. (laughs) Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be taken care of. What does that all things mean? It means everything pertaining to God's glory and your good to accomplish his will because nothing else matters. So now four points to ground us in this because we are not to be, we're not gonna forfeit our peace I refuse to allow that to happen. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna encourage us to surrender to our worries or anxieties. So, so what do we do? What, what's God call us to do? Four things. Next point is this. There is first a forensic piece that is given to you. This is where we have to start. Forensic piece that there is a legal process that God, he will exact payment for your sin, but Lord knows you and I cannot pay for our sin. Praise God for a substitute. Praise God for a Savior. When we surrender to God's prince. Speaking of Christmas, Isaiah 9, verse 6, right? For unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. There is no peace apart from the Prince of Peace. There is no climate conference, there is no peace treaty, there is no peace award that can be given out that could ever replace the only peace that matters, and that is the peace that's found in the Prince of Peace. The reason that the world continues to talk about peace and never experiences it, because it hasn't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, which we are invited to do. And if you don't do it voluntarily now, one day you will be forced to. Philippians chapter two, one day every knee will confess, right? That he is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess he is Lord. Here's here's, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Do it now, willingly, and find the joy in that. So Jesus, being this Prince of Peace, brings for us what we can never ever discover apart from him. That's why Paul uses the phrase so many times in his letters, grace and peace to you. Write that down, grace and peace. Because for Paul, the order is never reversed. You can't know peace until you first experience God's grace. And God's grace is the person and work of Jesus Christ giving his life for us is what gives us that peace. And when you know that you're loved by him, when you know you're accepted by him, when you hear the words of Jesus, Matthew 11 that I mentioned earlier, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Oh, what an invitation that is. Because I know without him, I know how my life's gone and it's not fun. It's not pretty, it's exhausting. But to know that I'm accepted as I am where I am warts and all and i'm loved by him unconditionally and he's going to do a good work in me oh when you allow god to work in you there's no greater joy and there's no greater peace because if god is for us who can be against us he'll never disown us what i hear throughout scripture is that i am your god i will be your father And I will care for you every single day until the end. Which in God's economy, there is no end. It's called forever. And so there's this forensic piece that comes and says, you are now declared not guilty because of the guilt Christ endured for you. And there's nothing that could ever overturn the judge's orders of you being legally declared innocent. Woo! So that's what we want to celebrate today. Colossians chapter one, Monty uh, used this in his, in his message for communion. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I love that. I love how the writers use certain words like please. Like God wasn't a reluctant lover of you. God's not like, you know, doggone it. I got to love Miguel, okay. No, he's pleased to come and dwell and through him to reconcile bring peace. Reconciliation is when two parties are at war with one another. There's hostility and enmity between two parties. Reconciliation is when the, those two parties come together and find peace. There's no greater war in the world than the war between sinful men and women and a holy God. Christ's cross is the mediator of peace between those two parties. Notice what it says. He reconciles himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Thank goodness it's not your cross. It's his cross, and that's why Christ is the one mediator that now exists between God and man and the only one who's able to bring peace to our war existence between God and us. See, this is a piece that was lost in the Garden of Eden. When man chose to say, you know what, God? Appreciate you creating us, setting us up for success, but you know what? We're good without you. And God said, really? Let's see how long this lasts. It didn't last long. But God reestablished his relationship with Adam and Eve as they went and hid themselves because of shame. And God restores that relationship. Ever since then, men and women have been at war against God. And there's really four wars that go on in our world, and they all exist in our hearts. There's war, man's war against God, there's man's war against one another, there's man's war against the animal kingdom, and there's man's war against nature. Only Christ brings the peace to bring those hostile environments to some sort of calm and rest. Look at this other passage, Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there's forensic, justified, legal term. You are now declared not guilty because of what Christ has done for you. Woo! We have peace with God. Because you're justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Last verse, I'm gonna give you Ephesians chapter uh, two. For he himself is our peace. Again, there is no peace apart from Christ. Peace is not a feeling, it is not an emotion, primarily, it is primarily a person. This is why there's a constant call to relationship. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, there it is, the war, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man there's no longer Greek. There's no longer Jew. There's no longer men and women. There's no longer uh, employed, unemployed. There's no, all are now one in Christ. This is what Paul declares. He's creating a new humanity that is bonded together by peace. So making peace and might reconcile us both the God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Isn't that so cool? God through the cross says there's no more war. You're my friend and you're no longer my enemy. Oh, yes. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and preached to those who were near. The, word, the Bible uses a word called shalom. Write that down. You guys know the word shalom? Shalom. Well, you know what God offers? We call it the double shalom. If you've never experienced the double shalom, you may have because if you have Jesus, Jesus, you've got the double shalom. See, when you are blessed, you get a shalom. But when you're loved by God, it's called shalom, shalom. And you know what that shalom, shalom means? Perfect peace. See, there's peace, but then there's perfect peace. See, some of you are like, yeah, I'm at peace. Yeah, you got the shalom, but I'm going, I want you to have the double shalom. The shalom, shalom. Can we make that part of our greetings from now on? Like when we see each other, like, hey, shalom, shalom. Like people are like. The shalom shalom is basically a declaration that the war between God and me is over. And I have gladly wielded my white flag of surrender. Because I know where my plans and my will has gotten me. And I'm going to surrender to this God who through, his, through the cross of Christ has now declared peace. Isn't it amazing that him who didn't need to make peace with us wanted it so desperately he sent his son so that we could have peace with him? That's shalom, shalom. So let's try it out. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom, shalom. shalom, shalom. Yeah, shalom. <laughs> Interesting story I read recently and, and maybe some of you have heard it. There was a Japanese lieutenant by the name of Onoda. Onoda was dropped into the Philippines in 1944. And his orders during World War II were to fight indefinitely on this little island in the Philippines. And the word that the war had never had ended never reached him. This man, for 30 more years, proceeded to fight in a battle that only existed in his mind. Listen to this. He lived in hiding. He came out at night, raided villages to steal food, and even shot at people once in a while. Can you imagine me? one of these villagers? Like, all of a sudden, there's bullets. Like, what's going on? Ten years into hiding, he found a newspaper article about himself, but he thought it was only a trick to get him to surrender. So the Philippine government started dropping leaflets into the jungle saying the war is over. Anoda come out of hiding the war is over and one day his own brother stood on a microphone and begged him to give up and he wouldn't believe it. And Anoda fought on until 1974 30 years when the Japanese government sent in his old commanding officer, Taniguchi, who ordered Onoda to surrender, he finally gave up. Trapped since 1944, shut out the good news of peace, and lost 30 years of his life hiding in jungles, loyal to a lost cause. Man, I wonder, like, how many of us are going to continue to go about our lives ignoring all the messages that God's dropping in, saying, There's no, war, no more war. The, the battle's over. Come out of hiding. Come out of that place in your mind that just says, No, 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 I've got to fight on. I've got to fight on. I've got to fight on. And God is saying, The, the war is won. And you can be on the winning side if you surrender. How many people need to continue to hear the, the good news, right? The gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ has come to, to make us who were once enemies, now friends of God. See, for some of you, you're like, you know what, pastor, you, you hit on this every Sunday and I sit there and go, I need to. Because there's still some of you who don't believe it. God is saying to you today, surrender to God's Prince. Be declared not guilty and let your real life begin. Today is the day of surrender. Hear the words of Isaiah 41, verse 10, where Isaiah writes these words. He says, Fear not, for I am with you, be not dismayed, for I am your God. Stop right there. Isn't that 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 is that is poetic. Perhaps no greater lines of poetry have ever been written. Fear not. Be at peace. For our God is with us. And don't be dismayed. Why? Because our God says to us, I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Woo! Good stuff. Romans 8. Verse 31 through 2 says the same thing. What shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. The prince has come to rescue his people. And because of this, how will he not also now with him graciously give us all things? He's going to give us all things pertaining to his glory and our good if we make it our goal to live for his will. Which brings us to point number three. Foundational peace. What are we going to build our lives upon? Now that we have come to know the prince of peace, well, we are we surrender to God's plans. When you when you need what we need to constantly understand is that God doesn't come along into our lives and ride co pilot. Can I get an amen from somebody? He's not your roommate where you give him the smallest room and the half bath and just say, hey, glad you're here, Jesus, but I've got full run of the house. No, no, no. When God comes in, he takes over. This is not about you. This is about him. And this is where foundational peace is built, right? And it's the question, and this is a haunting question. I'm going to ask you this question because I'm going to ask you to ask yourself this question on a regular basis. How is Jesus being displayed as king in your life? When it comes to every single area of your life, whether it be finances, whether it be sexuality, whether it be your marriage, your kids, your job, here's the question that's going to be the most important question for you in every area of your life, and, and we don't believe in compartmentalizing your lives. You don't give God an hour and a half on Sunday and then take the rest for yourself. We don't worship God on Sunday and then Monday through Saturday. I'm good, Lord. I got this. God has worked in your life so that his lordship can be seen in taking over every area. Think about that. How is Christ being displayed as king over every area of your lives? Because until you arrive and, and, and come to that place where you go, I'm going to accept his kingship, his lordship over er, every, every area, now we're building something. But the moment you say, God, you can have these areas, but these areas are off limits, he's not king. He's a roommate. You, you guys get what I'm saying? There's no peace for the person that says, This is my will, not his. I sit there and go, good luck. Let me know how that works out for you. Peace, I love what Tim Keller says, peace is confidence and trust in God's wise and good control of your life. Isn't this where really, we don't think God has what's best for us in, in mind. Can we just be honest? We sit there and we doubt God's Goodness. Worry is assuming responsibility for things that are useless, needless, and beyond our control. And because we haven't surrendered to his will, like Jesus praised, not your will be done, not my will be done, but your will be done. This is the battle. I come from a family of worriers. Can I tell you how bad it's it's bad? My grandma, my grandma, who till the end was bitter. Bitter, angry, angry, bitter, bitter. Did I mention bitter and angry? Yeah, this was my grandma. When the Lord saved me at age 15 and I was started to be called to do ministry, she's like, well, why are you doing that? Why are you going to church? This is what she's not like. Why are you reading the Bible? And then I started like, I'm taking a trip. Why are you going to Mexico? You're going to die. Don't you know of all the drug runners and cartel? And why are you... There comes a point where you're like, Grandma, stop! But you know what? Her influence of worrying went to my mom, and then my mom was the same way. Well, why are you doing that? You're gonna get hurt. I never played, never played football. Why? You might hurt yourself. Never, never went hunting. You might shoot yourself. You know people like this? We're just constant, like, oh, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die might as well just stay in your bathroom no no don't even go to the bathroom you might drown or something i don't know <laughs> but you can't you can't live your life constantly strangled by the what if what if what if matter of fact write those three wo- those two words down three times what if what if what if draw a circle around those those three phrases put it put a cancel out we're going to cancel what if today and we're going to woke you to something more important and that is who is who is who is your life is not to be consumed by the what ifs your life is to be consumed by the who is This is foundational peace, ladies and gentlemen. This is not my will, but yours, God, because I know you and I know your character. And if you're going to send your son to die for me, how will you not also now give me all other things? See, worry makes us forgetful. Worry is incompatible with faith. You think about, again, the gospel story, Christmas, right? Here we are, 48 days away from Christmas. Luke chapter one, chapter two, Christ comes into this world and the book of Luke starts and says, he's come to give light to those of us who sit in darkness and sit in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the way of peace. Chapter two, the angels declare to the shepherds God's peace to whom? He is well pleased. God brings us peace and it's through Christ and now our lives are lived being made into conformity into what Jesus, his characteristics, his traits. That's God's plan. See what God's plan, what we mean by that is this, you are being made to look like Christ in your life. And if there's no plan to be made like Christ, then there's no love for the person of Christ. This is what the gospel does. This is what the gospel's most important work is. It's not to make your marriage better. Though that's important. It's not to make you a better mom or dad. Though that's important. It's not to make you a better steward of God's resources. That's the most important work God's going to do in your life is to conform your image into the image of Jesus. And that's surrender. That's surrender. God's plan Boy, shalom, shalom. Sometimes you see you throw a good shalom, shalom out there. Where do I get that? Isaiah 26. Just so you guys know, shalom, shalom is not just something I made up. It's actually found in Isaiah 26. Look at this. You keep him in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. See, some of you felt like you got a little robbed when I mentioned the first time, shalom, shalom, but here's the key. You only have perfect peace when your mind is fixed on him. Because the moment you start shifting, the moment you start thinking about your plans and your will and your agendas. This happened to me a couple weeks ago. I had, to, I had to wrestle with God. So, um, and I almost feel embarrassed to, to share this with you, but I get a call from our, our insurance company who we were, had been with for for 30 years. Hey, we're dropping you from, from insurance for, for a car, right? Wife, me, my daughter. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been dropped by insurance. So you feel a little violated. You feel a little betrayed, right? And it's even the main guy, right? Like who I've never met, but, you know, we've talked on the phone several times. Yeah, there's been too many claims, right? You've got this ticket, and you've got this accident. I'm like, oh, this is embarrassing, right? But the reason they dropped us is because we took out too many glass claims, Right? We live in Phoenix. Like, How many of you have chipped windows right now? And you're like, I just got this fixed a month ago. right? Well, guess what? Don't you dare even call in a claim for that because your insurance might drop you. So we got dropped, right? And so now we're fishing around for insurance and la, la, la. So um, a couple weeks ago, we we're having a little dinner at the Morgans get together at our house. And I go to pick up some food at um, a restaurant. And I back up my car and I hit a car. I'm going oh crap. First thing I'm thinking of is we're going to get dropped again and we're going to have to f- find new insurance and right? And um, so I get out. So here's the ironic thing, right? So this guy's parked in a fire lane, right? So I'm just backing out of my big sequoia. That thing's indestructible. It's going to it's going to make it through the apocalypse. So if you guys need a ride during that time, let me know. I can I can take you. I got room for eight. But I back up into this guy's car. Now this guy I just met inside picking up food, and he was wearing a Cowboys shirt, and Cowboys had just won, which is kind of the the state of the way things are right now, so get over it, you guys. Cowboys are going all the way. Um, We're high-fiving each other like, yeah! And now I back into this guy's car. And uh, I get out, but it was weird because it's almost like, you know, you've lived life long enough, you you got broken windows, you hit cars, you kill people, no, 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 I didn't kill anyone. And I get out, and I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry, and he's like, oh, man, and so we exchange inf- information, right, and I'm like, do you, we want to do insurance, or can I just, can I, we just find some place, and we'll we'll take care of this, and I'll pay out of pocket, and he's like, cool, his name's Johnny, and so we exchange numbers, right, and, and I'm just trying to be a nice person, and, and I'm like, Lord, just calm my heart, because the last thing I want to do is pay hundreds of dollars to get this guy's car fixed, and then who knows what's gonna happen with insurance, and God just says, "Yeah." we'll get this thing taken care of, and I go home, and I share it with my, that's the worst, right, when you have to share it with your wife, right, and she's usually the one getting speeding tickets and car accidents and stuff, but so, no, just kidding, and I go, so this happened, and she's like, and she didn't like get really upset or whatever, and I'm like, thank you, Lord, for giving me a calm wife, at least on this day, on the, at least today, uh, and then I tell my daughter, and she's just like, whatever, right, so, um, so the next morning, just early on, I just sent a text to this guy, Johnny. I'm just like, Johnny, dude, sorry for hitting your car. Let me know. I've got a couple couple places we can take you to. Here's kind of the ballpark figure and the amount. And um, Johnny messages me back. and Oh, and I, I love that this is an important part, too. Maybe it's an important part. I don't know. I just said, hey, here's my card. I'm a pastor in Chandler. Sorry. I had to, I had to do that, right? I'm like, do I go business owner or pastor? I'm going pastor today, so I give him my pastor card, and I say, I'm a pastor in Chandler, and I'm in the area, and I just want to make this right, and so give him my pastor card, and uh, if you need a pastor card, let me know. I got, I got a guy to hook you up. Uh, so I text Johnny. I'm like, hey, it's uh, Pastor Scott. I just want <laughs> to put that in there just... So we didn't forget, right? So, hey, it's Pastor Scott. I didn't do that. I just said, hey, it's Scott, the guy who hit your car last night. Uh, Go Cowboys. Uh, Hey, here's what it's going to cost. Let me know. Uh, I can send you either cash. I can arrange for... Johnny messages me back and goes, listen, I did a little research. I can fix this on my own for like 10 bucks, 15 bucks. It was an accident. It's done. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm like... May the tribe of Johnny prevail. <laughs> it was like just God's way of like, he'd like, he'd like prep me perhaps for just this, but I did not expect that. And I wonder like, what would it, what would have, what would have it done to my soul had I been like, oh, I oh, don't know, honey, I'm so worried. And, and, and I just was kind of resting in the fact like, okay, I've, I've been in a car accident before. Things are going to get, no one died, right? Like we're all good. And then God gives me that and just far exceeded what I ever, ever expected. And I wonder how many times God just says, you know what? I'm gonna bless you with that shalom, shalom. Can I hear it from you guys? Shalom, shalom. That's good. Whose mind has stayed on you? Lord, I'm praying for, for this repair. I'm, for, I'm praying for Johnny. Who knows? Something may come out of this relationship that is far more important than a, than a dented passenger door. Because why? We're going to trust God. Why do, you, why do you worry about the things of life? What you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, how you're going to get that door fixed? Don't you know that life is more important than these things? Amen? And so stick with God's plan. But let me give you this next one, and this is really, really important. Your, your peace is going to be fortified. Fortified. See, you want want this fortified peace that happens only when you surrender to God's promises. What are God's promises? Real quick, the things that God tells you about himself through his word. There is no peace from God apart from the word of God. Worry will either keep you from the word or the word is going to keep you from worry. Let me say that again. Worry is either going to keep you from the Word or the Word is going to keep you from worrying. If you're going to pray, you can't worry. But if you're going to worry, don't bother praying. It's just a waste of time. Right? Philippians chapter 4. Look at it. Here we go. Write this down. So important. Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Kind of talking about the joy last week, right? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. So what are you to be anxious about? Nothing. Nothing but in everything. So you need to replace your worrying with something. What are you going to replace it with? You're going to replace it with praying and and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving feeds contentment, right? If you're only praying and there's no thankfulness, you're going to be praying and sometimes your, your will's going to be off because you're going to want things that you really don't need. So let your prayer be with thanksgiving and you let your request be known to God and here's the promise of God. Here's how your faith or your peace is fortified. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guaranteed this is what's gonna happen. When you come before God and you pray, but you also keep thankful. You let your requests be made known to God and there's a heart of contentment that says, God, I know who you are And I know what you've done for me. Here's some things that are on my heart, but let you know that I'm thankful. See, by letting your requests known, you're not putting all your stock in those requests. You're putting them out there, but the thankfulness just reminds you of what's really important, that's your relationship. Isaiah chapter 20, I think it's 27. No, Isaiah 40. When you read the word of God, here's what I want you to, to focus primarily on, who God is. God's promises are worthless if they're not rooted in his character. Look at Isaiah 40, for example, and I picked this one because there's, there's three things about God we see in this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Here's the person that is prone to worry and anxiety that says, God, you don't care about me. Have you ever, have you ever declared that to God? I have. God, I want this. And you don't care about me. And here's what what Isaiah says. And my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? So here's Isaiah's way of saying, let's get a different vantage point, God's vantage point. The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. What I hear at the end there is when you focus on who God is, he replaces your weakness with his strength and your worry with his rest. Three things. Have you not heard the Lord, the everlasting God, The creator of the heavens and the earth. You know what I see there? The everlasting God means literally this. He is the one who encompasses all time and beyond. He is infinite. Don't you think he knows? When I see the Lord, I'm reminded of the fact that the Lord implies total control even of difficult circumstances. What am I going to worry about? Because nothing is outside his control. Creator implies he is the master architect who plans every individual in every situation to somehow be leveraged for his glory. This is how your peace is fortified, focusing on the person and work of God. Read Job sometime. Job is the, the longest argument and debate with God recorded in human history, 39, 40 chapters. I'm busy. Take a message, please. Um, If it's Johnny, tell him thank you once again. So love that guy. So 40 chapters of just, God, why aren't you doing this? Why And complaining, complaining. There's no peace until the very end. And God just says, were you there when I set the cosmos in place? Were you there when I created the manatee? I love the manatee. It doesn't say that, but created large aquatic creatures. Were you there when the angels were singing when I created the stars? And the book of Job ends with what? I may not answer every one of your questions, but I'm gonna show you who I am. Because who God is alone brings our hearts peace. Last point. Here's your homework. Functional peace. When we surrender to God's power. And let me just tell you, I love Augustine. uh, One of the greatest minds who ever lived, 1,700 years ago, said this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest with you. So what can you do to experience the peace, the shalom, shalom that I'm talking about? Three things. Number one, be a peace cultivator. Here's what you cultivate in your hearts: the word of God, the word of God. Things like the promises, John sixteen thirty three. I mentioned to you. You know, Christ comes and gives you a peace, not like the world gives, because His peace is rooted in the fact that He's overcome the world. Wow. First Peter chapter five says, "Cast all your anxieties upon Him." Why? Because He cares for you. But when you're a peace cultivator, I'm reminded of verses like um, Psalm 119, 65. Check this out. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. When you cultivate the word of God into your life, you will experience great peace. But this is something you have to do. It's not something you just experience on a Sunday morning like, oh, I get my shot. All right, cool. Now I'm good. No, that will last you for an hour but you've got to be the one who disciplines yourself to say, where am I to go but the word of God because nowhere else has the peace that he alone gives. Colossians 3, verse 15. And above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So Paul, by the word of God, says it's it's possible to have the peace of Christ rule. But here's the key. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you're not giving first place to the word of God, you're not going to experience perfect peace. So be a peace cultivator. Number two, I want you to be a peace preserver meaning in the church. So peace cultivator has to do with your own heart. Peace preserver means our relationship as believers with one another because I'm gonna tell you right now, sometimes we could be real jerks toward each other. Amen? Amen. Not that I've ever done that. T- I mean, you guys love me, but you know. The world's gonna know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Well, you have to protect the bond of peace that exists with us because we are united by the Holy Spirit. We We are bonded by the love that God has poured out within our hearts. Ephesians chapter four, verse three. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is Paul's instruction to the church. Can I encourage you right now, church, if you're a follower of Jesus, keep short accounts with each other. Keep keep short accounts with each other. Here's what I don't want to hear. That person looked at me weird. I'll be like in love. In love. Totally. What a gift to the church when we work out our differences in love and respect and gentleness. Too many people storm out of their churches and it grieves the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit gives power for unity. Not to be a crybaby. Work out your differences. Praise God, He worked out His issues with us through the cross. What do we have against one another? So be a peace preserver, but with all people, last point, be a peacemaker. One of the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter five, verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers. Notice what it doesn't say. Blessed are the peace avoiders. Who wants to avoid peace? How about the peace fakers? It doesn't say peace fakers either. It says you have to be active in this for they shall be called the sons of God. If you are not one making peace, you can't call, you're not a son of God, daughter of God. What does peace making look like? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. For the holiness and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Notice how the writer of Hebrews puts peace in your walk with God together, saying this is a package deal. If you're going to walk in holiness before the one who's Prince of Peace, you're going to be a person who strives for peace with everybody. Because if not, it's going to cloud your vision of God. And then the last verse is this, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live peacefully with all people. Can we just understand, write this real quick before you leave? Sometimes your desire for peace is not reciprocated. And that's okay. As long as you continue to try to extend the olive branch, as long as you continue to try to, to uh, uh, initiate conversation or, or whatever. Here's what I want you to understand is that your engagement in the conflict doesn't seek to inflame it, it seeks to resolve it. God's heart is a heart for reconciliation. And as you have been reconciled to the Father through Christ, we can make it a point to be reconcilers here on earth as far as it depends upon us. Cultivate peace in your souls, preserve peace as a church community, and seek to make peace with all people. Here's my prayer, is that we become people who no matter where we go, whether it be in person, online, whatever comes out of our mouths is is conducive for harmony and unity. Let me say this, because we need to be known as people that are easy to get along with, pursuers of peace, and, and at equanimity with our neighbors. We need to be those people that, we are the, the calm in the storm because we know the Prince of Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, look at our culture, look at our country, look at our world. We play such an important role in reminding people of what's really, really important. So I'm praying for you. Pray for me. Pray that we stay grounded in Him who is our peace? And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. "Let's stand. Let's pray." Father, thanks for today. Thank you for notching out this special time to connect with one another, to sing our hearts out before you. Just to open our hearts and minds to to the Word, Lord. Lord, sow the seeds water those, those seeds, produce growth in us that is for your glory. Lord, this is, this is not about us working more. This is about us abiding more. Not striving, but surrendering. Lord, we surrender because we know you are in full control. For, forgive us for trying to hijack your plan. Forgive us for the ways we step in and and try to bring about our, our, our agendas. Lord, remind us that you are a God that loves us, that is forever with us, who promises to strengthen us and empower us to do your will. Thank you for the words of scripture which keep running through my mind. My mind, you are my God. And I want to rest in that. Thank you for moving mountains to come and and die for me. So that we are no longer at war with each other. I pray that it would be true for every single person here today. That that shalom, shalom is offered to every single man, woman, child. May we live in that on a day-to-day basis. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for calling us to be your people. May Christ be exalted in all things. and We pray this in his name. Amen. And as I close with this this prayer of of peace, a blessing of peace found in Numbers chapter six, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord continue to lift his face toward you and give you his grace and his peace forever and ever. God bless you guys. Have a great day. See you soon, all right? Bye-bye.